Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Hadar. This week we're chatting with Alex Head. She's the founder of London's go-to catering company, Social Pantry. Social Pantry is considered a leader in fashioning events menus with a creative edge. Head also runs three restaurants in London, Soane's Kitchen in Ealing, Crane's Kitchen in Peckham, and Social Pantry Cafe in Lavender Hill. Alex regales us of her tales from catering various events like product launches by Rihanna or product launches by NARS, as well as celebrity parties such as Gigi Hadid's Slumber Party. Her breakthrough moment actually happened in her 20s when she won the football account Brentford Football Club. She's been growing wildly ever since. Social Pantry is not only a huge success in its own right, but its social responsibility is exemplary. They ensure that 10% of their staff are ex-offenders. That means they're helping people who are being released from prison reacclimate into society by giving the opportunity to work in a full-time job in one of her companies. I really enjoy chatting with Alex. She's so lighthearted, full of amazing stories and ideas. It's infectious. Her story is actually fascinating. Her entrepreneurial streak started when she was a child, and she decided to make some money by selling sandwiches to her dad's colleagues at work. This was all as a result of being expelled from school. So that's where the story will begin. Here's Alex Head. Let's start right at the beginning. So where did you grow up? Like, how did you even get into this idea of food? I read you were a bit of a rebel growing up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up in the Middle East and I got expelled from school when I was 15. And so I got home. Oh, where, where did you grow up? Sorry. So I grew up in Riyadh in Saudi. So I lived there from when I was about 14 till about 20. Yeah, I loved being over there and it, it was great fun. But when I got expelled, um, my mum kind of said, well, you better start making some pocket money. So I printed some like clip art posters and put them up in my dad's office selling some really overpriced sandwiches. And I sat by the phone and the phone started ringing. So I'd make these little sandwich orders and I'd jump on my bike and I'd deliver them to the office. And I think looking back, they were probably pretty shoddy sandwiches, to be honest. But this office didn't really have anywhere to go. You know, there wasn't any any preps or anything like that. So actually, they were, you know, quite a captive audience. And so I kind of started, I had always cooked from quite a young age, my granny, my mum in the kitchen. So I, I always loved it. But that was my first like entrepreneurial you know, bit really of kind of making some pocket money. Um, And so that was the start of a very little company that I kind of just had on the side of everything else, really. Um, So on on the side of working in restaurants, you know, when I got a bit older and yeah, it kind of grew and grew and grew. And then I was 24, 25 and I thought, do you know what, I'm going to make a go of it. So I rebranded it to Social Pantry and and kind of gave it my full time attention. So you were you just carried on making food on the side for people? Is that what? Is... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and anything like lasagnas for their freezer, little dinner parties, you know, sandwiches, you name it, I did it. As in, you carried on doing that in Riyadh, or how did you move back here? Yeah, so we moved back here. So I went to came back here to some A levels, went to Oxford Brooks Uni and studied hospitality and business, which was great. Um, but I worked in the restaurants, so I was chefing and waitressing. And actually, the the work that I did in the restaurants and you know the experience I got, I would say, is much more valuable. I have heard that from other chefs, actually. Yeah, I just wasn't such a fan of kind of. I mean, uni is great, but it's a lot of. I don't know if this. I mean, maybe I'd love it now, but there's not that many hours of lectures, and I just kind of was like, what are we going to do with our time? So obviously, I. Kind of got a job and worked around the clock and and loved it actually really enjoyed cooking in these kitchens and while I was in Oxford went from a brasserie to a fine dining restaurant and they were quite tough kitchens back then they were real kind of shouty male dominated kitchens so I kind of 
I almost was there to kind of prove a point that I could survive in one of those kitchens. And it, you know, I survived and it stood me in good stead, actually. And it, it was great experience looking back. Oh, so then you, you decided to create your own catering business. Did you feel like there was a gap in the market or did you just feel you could do it better? Or what, what was your kind of like, what made you take the leap? Because that's like, that's like quite a big, I don't know, investment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I'm so rubbish. Like, you'll speak to lots of people and they'll be like, oh, I wrote a business plan and I got investment. And I'll be like, oh, my, like, I was just the total opposite of it. So I had hit London and I was opening restaurants for for, for a um, business duo. And I had opened a couple of restaurants for them. And then they, we opened a place in Oxford Circus. It was a pizza place called Melito. And I was a the manager there and we opened it. And actually, after six months, it failed. It, it didn't work. The concept didn't work. It mainly didn't work because the council close the pavement outside the shop to refurb it and people just the customers just didn't walk around the barrier to come into the shops so we had a brilliant first you know three four months and then month five and six just didn't work so the owners decided to kind of you know pass the site on and sell it so I at that point was like oh do you know what this is a good catalyst for me to you know to, to kind of rebrand and go go full-time with my catering which by that point had gained momentum but the experience from being part of a site in a business that didn't work um, was so valuable. I can't tell you. It really was such precious experience and a real stark reminder that you can open a site. And, you know, you can have the best will in the world and the best experience, but it's not always going to work. Was that kind of what led you to, to do catering rather than open your own site? Yeah. So catering. Yeah, I think cause I already had a few customers, really. And I went back to waitressing. So I went and worked at Sophie's Steakhouse along the Fulham Road. And I was 25. And I remember all the waitresses were kind of you know waiters and waitresses were much younger and I remember thinking god I'm so much older um but I was just supporting my income really until the catering could pay me kind of you know could cover my rent so I set up a little website um I didn't even have a laptop of my own I used to borrow my housemate's laptop wow so startup <laughs> yeah I love it <laughs> I can't tell you it was so startup I printed some flyers because it was pre-Instagram um and I started a website <laughs> with I think a couple hundred pounds which was all the money in the world to me um um, and I went back to waitressing and I just said yes to every single catering job that came in. Um, and I would use my suppliers that I'd used in these restaurants. So I'd have the veg, veg delivery guy delivering to my house at, you know, 5 a.m. And the fishmonger would turn up and he'd turn up with like these whole salmon. Then I'd have to go to the pub on the corner and say, hi, hey, can I put this in your fridge? Do you mind? And they'd say, no, not a problem. So I'd have a little shelf in their fridge because I only had no. <laughs> under-counter fridge. Um, and then I would like, cook the food, shove it in my little box or corsa, which had no like chilling facility, which now would be entirely illegal. Um, yeah, actually, that's what I was going to ask. What year was this? Because I feel like you like, would do so many checks with the council and yeah, that just wouldn't fly. Yeah, I think it was 2011. Okay. Council had actually signed off my little flat. They were like, yeah, this is, you know, this is fine. Because lots of street food traders work from home and, you know, it was, it was all kind of, it all got the go ahead. And yes, yeah, so, so off off we went and I just kind of lived really hand to mouth and made sure that I could have enough clients, you know, to stop the waitressing and to, to pay my rent was the main aim. So that was that was all really exciting. And I, yeah, I people would phone and I'd say, not a problem. I'd just pass you through to accounts. And then I'd get on the phone again and be like, accounts, how can I help? Stop um, it. That's so funny. <laughs> and so sometimes I sit on these business panels with really the people that have like done it, you know, the correct way. And I'm sitting there thinking, shit, my journey has been so different. 
Um, I I love it. I mean, I love that you even knew that you just look more kind of established if you had staff. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time I was like, "And we do this." He's like, "But when you say we, it's just you, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great." Yeah, so when did you? So you started doing this. You were making enough money to make rent yeah at what point did you feel like oh okay like when did you get like a client that turned everything yeah so I am um, I got a call from somebody um, and she was I think a, a lady that made cupcakes and she said hey listen I've been asked to um I've been asked by Brentford Football Club if I can go in and cook for a couple of weeks um, and they're an actor and they're a football club and I and, but she couldn't do it so she said listen would, would you go and do it so I said sure and this is on the Sunday and they wanted somebody in on the Monday so I went and cooked for these footballers and it was 40 lunches a day and I did two weeks and it was great and then they said hey listen can you do um, the rest of the season and I thought god okay brilliant so that was the contract that changed everything from that. did you have to hire people for, mm. for that yeah hired a chef in to run the contract there and then I man with with that I was able to hire a bench in a commercial kitchen so I was able to share a kitchen um, and that was really brilliant a kitchen in a tiny office space so that was brilliant and then that contract ended up lasting I think five years and by the end I was serving 150 a day for breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week of these footballers so you know, it really, it really paid off to say, yeah, of course I can come in tomorrow and do a couple of weeks cooking. Were you scared or were you like, no, I got this? Uh, yeah, I was apprehensive. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it was in 2011 or 2012 and there was, it, at that point it was starting, there was a real focus on nutrition. So I kind of would follow their nutritionist, you know, menu plans and we would cook to that, but I definitely wasn't a nutritionist. So there was, you know, it was kind of saying, yeah, we can facilitate your menu plans, but don't look to us to do the menu plan. So yeah, it was, and it was making right. sure that I suppose from a grown up point of view that we had the right insurance, that we had the right, you know, health and safety on site. There was, there was a lot of, there was a bit of admin side, you know, it wasn't just doing one or two events a week. It was a constant. So it was, you know, managing a staff member for the first time, you know, when I was the employer. So there was lots of kind of, you know, lots of things to kind of a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a journey of discovery really, but, but they were a fantastic client and I owe so much to them for, for giving me the opportunity really. That's so cool. Look, after that, did you just kind of put that on your site and then people saw that and then like, how did it kind of like roll on to more? Like, did you yeah. have to get an agent or I'm not sure how yeah, like catering yeah, works I mean, yet. God, if I honestly, if I knew what I knew now, well, A, I probably wouldn't do it. But <laughs> 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 be like, honestly, I was just so rubbish at that. I didn't have any marketing background and I think people that come from you know have got even if you had Instagram back then at least you could have you know had a you can update and people can kind of see what's going on by just looking at Instagram whereas back then I should have really just leveraged off that contract and got bigger contracts I mean I did I did get a couple of office contracts and I think yeah maybe I did looking back but not as effectively as I could now with the experience I've got to be honest so I did just kind of potter along and kind of do the best I can and um I would I would then pick up you know some London press clients and press days and I had the private clients I'd do weddings so the footballer was a great steady source of income the football contract and then the other the other you know the other side of the business was definitely picking up and my main motto was if you're serving good food if your product's great then people are going to talk about it and you know I think that's what ultimately grew it was it was great food and and brilliant suppliers you know it's good high quality food yeah. So you do a lot of like, I mean, you've done a lot of retail like Alexander McQueen, Harvey Nicks, mm. Adidas, H&M, the list goes on. Then you've also done a lot of celebrity events like David Attenborough and yeah. Gigi Hadid and Hillary Clinton. Uh, how did those come about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Those, um, oh, God, the Rihanna one. <laughs> um, well, we pitched for them and you've got to, you know, you've got to 
persuade these what's so great I think when you're a small company and and when you're really fighting for the business which we still have to do now my goodness is it competitive so when you're small you're fighting against the bigger guys and you're saying hey give me a chance I promise I can deliver this event and now you're kind of you know up with the big guys fighting for every bit of business you know it's not a it's not you know it's it's competitive and they are good you have to be so forward-thinking you have to consistently deliver and your product has to be amazing your product and your service and the difficulty with events is that just before Corona, we were doing 25, 30, 35 events a week with every event. Oh, wow. There's like a different menu, a different loading bay, different staff setup, different uniform, different styling, different menu, different client, different brand. So the complexity yeah. of it and getting it right is, you know, it really is. There's so much more than meets the eye. There's definitely complexity to running sites and cafes as well. But but with the events, there's so much kind of to get right. And it really is important. So when you say to like the Rihanna client, oh, trust me, we can do it. My God, do you then need to deliver? And I just, there was a couple of times that I thought, shit. Um, but we did deliver. And yes, yeah, so you work around the clock and you make sure, you make sure you deliver that event. And, you know, again, like it's these incredible agencies. Um, it was BC that we worked with, with Rihanna client who, who gave us a chance we did both Gigi Hadid and and Rihanna with with that events agency and they were the guys that you know backed us and whether we came in at a lower price than them I don't know but you know they kind of thought okay cool we've done a tasting we've done concepts we've done mood boards let's go ahead with you guys so yeah you've got to win it and then and then you've got to you've got to deliver it yeah what were their events were they like just birthday parties or more like a yeah so so with Rihanna, Rihanna's was huge actually she, she did three global launches and we did the one of them so we did the London one so they shut off all of Kensington and they hired out all of Harvey Nichols and you walked through and you went through a a a world of experiences basically so the first station was thousands and thousands of gold sprayed um fortune cookies with her message in so we we obviously did all of those and then you got to the candy floss and it was in the pantones of her blusher so the candy floss was different pantones which is so much fucking harder than you can i can (laughs) tell you anyway (laughs) wow that sounds awesome yeah and then there was like gold donuts and you know and then rihanna was obviously there and she's super cool so we had cocktails and we had to have 65 models on site who are waitressing they all had to have tattoos and there was various you know specs and every model had to be signed off and I think we had over 100 staff on site but but it was great it was it was really fun and so their product launches mainly and then the Gigi Hadid was a slumber party um you know inclusive of bellboys serving her pizzas in Gigi Hadid pizza boxes and I think I mean the stress for Rihanna was the candy floss and the pantone and the stress with the Gigi Hadid was the pizza boxes that ended up in Singapore like 24 oh. hours before the event I think <laughs> anyway we sold it and it was good but um yeah that that those events are definitely fun and and, and incredible and memorable and, and so exciting so hopefully we'll get all those back post corona oh yeah I'm sure and so uh what's what what's do you do weddings and these types of events and all mm-hmm. that what which do you find harder um, they're really diff- they're all so different. I think what I love about my job personally is the variety. So I love you know with a wedding, gosh, you know the wedding planners get to know those clients so well that there's so much emotion invested. You know, it's such a different client there's such a different kind of client care to it than to a press day that potentially has had a month's planning I mean there's nothing's more you know nothing's more important than the other but it's just totally different private and corporates um you know being part of somebody's wedding day is so memorable I was grabbing a coffee actually near where I lived the other day and this guy was like hey you did my wedding and I was like cool and it was really nice and you totally forget that actually you're part of their day and then the press you know the press ones are great because you're working with some incredible brands you know some great budgets sometimes and some really creative 
creative briefs. So that's kind of where that's really fun. Like I remember for a NARS event, we had to, everything had to be blue. All the food had to be blue and like food just naturally isn't blue. Um, <laughs> right. I didn't want to tell them that the eyeshadow that they were launching, like blue is a rubbish color for food. <laughs> so we just had to, yeah, we had to kind of crack on and make sure that we were, yeah, that we were, you know, that the whole menu was the kind of different shades of blue. So the briefs can be quite exciting. That sounds so fun. Mm. Have you got people helping you kind of plan all of that out? Yeah. So, I've, I mean, across Social Pantry, there's well, pre-corona, there was kind of full-time, you know, 60 to 70 staff members. We're, we're a big old beast to kind of, um, you know, to manage and, and plan. And then we've got certain planners that work with different venues or different clients. And some girls are, you know, stronger at others. And some chefs are suitable for different types of events so there's a lot of um yeah the the different events and briefs have different requirements really and we kind of have teams that work into those and fit them perfectly what kind of food do you find easy like what what do you like to gravitate towards cooking um because I imagine each event has completely different menus yeah they do I think for us it's all about I mean there was a really big trend a few years ago which is still kind of going on which is lovely but it's that whole kind of sharing which is really nice so you know it was all, all the weddings were long tables and gorgeous sharing salads and legs of lamb and you know that that was really lovely now it's kind of you know there's incredible food stations and we do like this amazing 12 foot charcuterie which is super cool I think a food trend that's going to coming up is there's a great pasta trend going on and people wanting you know live pasta rolling at events is quite fun so there's lots of yeah lots of kind of different ways but you know we've had like live chefing sushi um you know live wok stations moroccan stations so there's all if, if as, you know when people want theater that's definitely quite fun and it can be as simple as someone you know at a wedding reception carving a nice serrano ham right through to kind of you know insane food stations that have been styled and and you know really kind of add the wow factor so we, we do try and stay quite ahead of the food trends um, and make sure that we're quite forward thinking and that's where we can be slightly more reactive than the much bigger classic caterers do you go to like food expos or like where where do you find the trends? Yeah. So where do we find them? So normally we, uh, so we kind of, uh, New York's often ahead of the trend. So they're quite good. You can kind of see what's going on over there. You kind of can bring over. They're kind of, you know, often a step ahead. And then it's just kind of what, what people are loving, really. I think, you know, look, looking ahead, loads of pickling and fermentation and people are kind of really getting into that. Zero waste is obviously really big at the moment and has been for a while. Same with being vegan, you know, vegan options. So there's all sorts, you know, which we can kind of, and we, we work with the trends that work for us. Um, and that you know that we kind of enjoy working with but we'll always be developing menus and having a bit of fun with it. I'd love to talk a bit about the social development aspect of you guys hiring 10% of your workforce as ex-offenders. Yeah 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 so having been quite naughty Carol I am always quite sympathetic of somebody that's um, you know (laughs) potentially hasn't always made the right decision so five years ago I think I took on my first ex-offender Suhail and he's he left last year actually and he was just fantastic so he started off just doing three days a week. He'd come out of ISIS prison, which is up by Belmarsh. And I think he was in on a drugs charge, actually, um, which a lot of these youngies are. And he was just um, great. So he started on three days a week, actually, and that didn't really work. So I kind of said to him, hey, listen, I've worked so bloody hard to get here. You need to either embrace it and come and do full time or bugger off. And he did, actually. I realized that actually being stricter and firmer was 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 the way forward. So off we went um, and he, yeah, he kind of then started full time and, 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 and it was great. And after that, I, I employed, you know, I've employed so many now over the years and, you know, work with a number of charities. 
now work directly with the prison. So we'll recruit from behind bars and on release and got some really incredible employees out of it, which is really exciting. All sorts of employees, all sorts of, but yeah, for us, it's about giving an opportunity once they've kind of done their time. So we don't really, you know, yeah, they've kind of done their prison time and coming out, that's when we're offering like paid paid job opportunities to them. Oh, that's like, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really fun. We've um such a good initiative. Yeah, and at the moment we're kind of saying to the boys, you know, to the guys, we're like, How did you handle lockdown? Like, fuck. You know, now we're kind of taking inspiration <laughs> from them because, you know, gosh, if you think we've done it, you know, a few months at home, which is all very, you know, comfortable. Imagine doing four or five years in prison and coming out and you know, it, it's just amazing what they overcome, really, you know, when they come out of prison. So for me as an employer, it's 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 very easy to offer to offer them, you know, offer them a job. It's it's incredibly simple. And they are often the most hardworking, trusted, brilliant employees. Not always. Like, you know, we've had definitely had some, you know, had had some that haven't worked out, but they are, you know, in the majority of the time, incredibly grateful for an opportunity. And they are just brilliant to have as part of the team. Do you get any relief on taxes but for doing that? Because that sounds like, you know, it's a really, it's a risk for you guys to do something like that. As yeah. you said, it doesn't always work out and mm-hmm. um, there isn't a lot of opportunity out there. So I wonder if there's a way where you also get a bit back. Yeah, no, no, you don't. And they, they really should. Oh. Yeah, they really should. You get absolutely nothing back. And it is a total labor of love. I can't tell you how challenging it is. It's a great thing to do and it's really rewarding. Um, but it's, it's for a small company, it does take a hell of a lot of resource. Um, yeah, and I imagine. So, yeah you've got to persevere with these guys you've got to you know you've got to really want to to, to make it work um, and understanding the journeys they're coming on and supporting them through that in their home life and their work life and you know getting them back to work sometimes it's their first job sometimes it's their you know they've been in and out of prison their whole life sometimes they've come out after 11 years in prison you know God, they don't even know what a contactless oyster let alone having the discipline to hand, hold down a job so you really are kind of helping them with absolutely everything. So to maintain 10% is is really challenging and a real focus of a couple of our team members. So I'm kind of quite proud that we've managed to do it as a small business, but it's it's definitely a challenge. But that, you know, I, I do quite a few talks to bigger businesses and I say, hey, listen, if we as a small business can do it, you guys can too, because it, it makes a difference. And, that, and I feel that, that I personally feel strongly that that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. So you're doing all of that. You're do, you're nailing it at the catering business. At what point did you decide I'm going to open a restaurant? Oh my God. So it was quite early on, actually. So I think it was 2013. I, and there's a little cafe at the top of my road. And me and my housemate, we used to kind of go and work there occasionally. And uh, Rashid used to own it. And it was a really skanky little cafe. And he used to say to me, like, Alex, do you want to buy my cafe? And I'd be like, no, fuck off, Rashid. <laughs> cafe. Anyway, and then one time we were in the pub and we were walking back and he kind of said oh, come on in come on in and I um and he plied us with another wine or two and I woke up in the morning and I was like shit I've agreed to that bloody cafe so <laughs> that was it that was literally it I um got the keys the following week and I had a deal I stru- struck a deal with him and I yeah newspapered up the windows <laughs> and thought oh my god this is so awful I've got no money to do anything so my dad built the counter my siblings all came and painted chairs and I remember laying on beer and pizza for all my friends who came and painted the cafe everyone came and painted like cousins literally everybody came and we painted for about a week we cleaned the kitchen we scrubbed it we cleaned out the basement we kept the tables we only replaced the tables actually and chairs last year and I just thought oh my god if the food's good enough people all come here and so we didn't even have a till um and <laughs> two weeks later I opened and 
worked around the clock, working every day. Uh, yeah, and made sure that things like we couldn't even afford a washing machine on site to wash the tea towels. At the end of every shift, I'd take the tea towels home and get them washed and then bring them back. My dear housemate, Kirsty, who was very long suffering by that point. Oh gosh, you were still flat sharing at this point. Yeah, I was like 25, <laughs> I was 25, 26. And yeah, flat sharing and yeah, and just living off air and coffee and oh god yeah was loving it and was cooking some contracts out of the kitchen yeah and and, and cafe and, and and really loved it and then last year we put some budget behind refurbing it so yeah it was really humble beginnings again yeah I started off with a counter at the back actually and then I moved the counter to the front and then that kind of that, that was great but yeah I kind of thought if you know if, if we can win over the locals then why not? And then we used to crack it open in the evenings to supper clubs. And then still now I use it, I call it for locking lasagnas, but sometimes we'll just shut the doors and 10 friends or 10 staff members or 20 staff members and we'll all have big lasagna and get really pissed and dance on the tables. So it's a real cool little place where there's been some amazing parties and, you know, it does a great brunch. It does a great supper club. It's, yeah, so it's a cool little site. And now it's refit. It's a bit smarter now, so we're not really allowed to dance on the tables, which is really boring. But um, yeah, so so it's it's a cool little site and it's a bit of a flagship. So that came first. And then and then there's uh, there's a few other contracts that we've won where we have, um, we're in-house at South London Gallery. We're in-house in Ealing at Pittshanger Manor with a restaurant and a kiosk. So there's been other developments since and some cafes, yeah, yeah, other sites that have opened. Um, how did you come up with the name of, of the restaurant? So Social Pantry Cafe is, I just think that tied in with Social Pantry, so that's yeah. nice. But um, Social Pantry, obviously the social element of it, and then Pantry, I just kind of thought was quite kind of like homely and, you know, resonated in terms of kind of home events and home cooking. Oh, you've recently won uh, 1.1 million funding is that right like well in 2019 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah what what are your plans to expand with it so that was last year so yeah so that was the first time that I got investment which is really exciting so I um yeah went out for investment which I probably should have done in year one to be honest if I could recommend that for anybody do it <laughs> you think it's better to get funding than to self-fund yeah of course self-funding is so stressful you just live so hand-to-mouth and you know, with funding, you can, you know, there's all sorts of brilliant advice. And, you know, there's so much that comes with funding, you know, you can bring in some really experienced people to join your team, you can, you know, that you can put budget behind stuff, it's exciting. But you you know, you need to, you need to ensure that, you know, you are going to make progress with funding, I think it's probably very easy to just spend it and, you know, to, to not move forwards. So, I mean, Corona's stopped any expansion plans, to be totally honest. So we are just navigating our way through Corona at the moment. But ultimately, our, our aim is to grow the event side of the business. So we're kind of tendering for various venues in London and we'll continue to do that and continue to grow the event side of the business, which is really exciting. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Actually, I like to end all my interviews with when you're not eating at your own restaurants. Where do you like to eat? Oh, my goodness. Well, London is so good. I'm di- yeah, dying. You must be as well. Dying to kind of get out and have a yes. good meal. I was actually listening to your interview with Design My Night. Gosh, that was fascinating. I, I found that really, really interesting and kind of, yeah, it just made me think about how incredible London is as a place. And, you know, there's so much going on food wise. And I think after Corona, we're going to see mad rise of the supper clubs, which is also exciting. And um, where would I eat? Where would I go? I, oh, somewhere like Padella is great for a really quick Negroni and a pasta I think I've been trying to make my own pasta over lockdown and it's just not that great 
So yeah, <laughs> a, a really good bowl of pasta and yeah, and, and, and a good cocktail, I think it'd be the first stop would be Padella for sure. Great. Well, that's that's where I guess you're heading right when we can get out again. Yeah, I know. Hopefully. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so amazed at what you've achieved. No, thanks so much. And so I'm, I'm so kind of brutally honest about it. I hope I don't put anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. They, they need to hear it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so good. But thank you so much for having me. That's really kind. I so, so, so enjoyed chatting with Alex. Her enthusiasm is infectious. Her creativity with the product launches, her drive to get shit done, even when it meant working around the clock or asking a pub down the road if she could use their fridge. It's just inspiring. We actually recorded this back when we were deep in the middle of lockdown, but now that things have reopened, you should definitely get yourselves down to one of her cafes or kitchens. It won't disappoint. Thank you so much for tuning in, you guys, and I'll see you next week. Bye.